One of the things I notice uh, every year at this time is that uh, during the season of Advent, uh, the traditions of the church and the traditions of the world that we live in, at least to some degree, are kind of like out of sync. And the reason I say that and what I mean by that is uh, when the season of Advent was originally begun sometime in the late fifth uh, century, it was designed to be a time of great solemnity and uh, spiritual preparation for the coming of Christmas in much the same way that Lent is a very solemn time of preparation uh, in preparation for the coming of Easter. As a matter of fact, Advent in its earliest form was originally known as St. Martin's Lent because it began on the feast day of St. Uh, Martin and uh, it was a time when Christian monks were actually ordered to practice fasting at least three days a week during the season of Advent in preparation for the coming of Christmas, which is you know, kind of the reverse of Advent for many of us who actually put on a few pounds uh, during these uh, pre-Christmas uh, days and enjoy an atmosphere of festivity and celebration. And even we pastors uh, refer to uh, preparation, including things like uh, bacon cookies, decorating your house and going to uh, parties and so forth. And yet, you know, in my lifetime, short as it's been, uh, I can still remember and have shared this uh, with some of you that I grew up in a church where you did not see uh, a Christmas tree in the sanctuary until Christmas Eve or maybe the fourth Sunday of Advent, but certainly not before that. And Christmas carols were never sung in the congregation until Christmas finally arrived because we were taught that Advent comes before Christmas, even by seminary professors who emphasize that Advent is a penitential season. And so in the tradition of the church, this is Advent right now, and it continues until Christmas begins on the eve of December 25th and then continues for 12 days until January 6th or the epiphany of our Lord uh, when our Ethiopian family members and others of Eastern Christianity begin their celebration. But in the culture we live in, this is Christmas right now and it ends after December 25th when you will hear the holiday music come to a screeching halt out there and the concerts will be over and you will see more than a few trees out on the curb long before January 6th, including some of yours, before the Christmas season even ends. And so when I come to church, like St. Andrew, on the second Sunday of Advent, and I see the beautiful Christmas tree and all the other decorations in the church house fully 20 days before Christmas even begins, I think of a member of this congregation whose name was Dorothy Cockrell. And uh, some of you remember Dorothy Cockrell, and she was, you know, great leader of this uh, congregation. She's now with the Lord, uh, but, you know, just a devout uh, member of the body of Christ here at uh, St. Andrew. And she had kind of a wicked sense of humor as well. And, and one year she walked into St. Andrew on the first or second Sunday of Advent, looked at all the decorations, felt the atmosphere of festivity, and responded by saying, what's next? Lilies during Lent? <laughs> Dorothy Cockrell. 
Well, I've kind of lightened up uh, about a lot of that stuff over the course of time, uh, in part because as important as it may be, uh, Advent really is a church tradition and not a biblical mandate. And also because whether I like it or not, if the culture in which I'm living is out there celebrating Christmas, then maybe I need to lean into that and get out there and engage that culture and help the people of this world to see what Advent and what Christmas are really, truly all about. Meanwhile, there are some things that uh, help us to do that and that also draw us back to uh, Advent as it was originally designed. Like, for example, the Advent wreath, uh, which was invented uh, in 1839 by a German pastor as a way of teaching his impatient children that they had to wait for Christmas and could count the days and the weeks until the celebration really began. And so the Advent wreath is still with us to remind us that Christmas is coming, but not so fast. Or the Advent devotional booklets Pastor Nick talked about, uh, available to you at the Welcome Center to help you just uh, take even a few minutes out of every day of Advent uh, to think and to pray and to meditate and to reflect. Or a midweek Vesper service, even if it is Jazz Vespers, to help you kind of stop and worship and remember what this time is really, truly all about. And then there's him, you know, that voice that is so jarring, out of sync, out of place, and interrupts us as the celebration gets underway during the most wonderful time of every year, kind of like screeching violins in a, in a horror movie, you know, like The Shining, when Jack Nicholson breaks through the door with an ax and says, here's Johnny better known to you and me as John the Baptist, this prophet of God, this bug-eating, fiery, preaching prophet from the wilderness of Judea who breaks into the church's tradition during every advent, not with an ax, but with words about an ax as he goes after his audience and he calls them a bunch of snakes and tells them that the only real way to get ready for the coming of the Messiah is to confess, it is to repent, it is to be baptized because the Messiah is coming and he is coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. He is coming to be your judge. Which is probably why you're not going to see a Johnny on many of your Christmas cards this year. And you probably won't find the uh, John the Baptist Christmas special on the Hallmark Channel starring Michael Buble. And yet every year, the church in its tradition stops. And it says, here's Johnny. Not with eggnog and cookies, but with a great big bite out of the Advent sandwich. And the question is why? Well, why does the church all over this world, literally for hundreds of years, steer us away from Nazareth and from uh, Bethlehem and from that beautiful story of a faithful young woman and an honorable man and a donkey ride to the city of David and springboards us 30 years into the future, into the wilderness of Judea, where we meet this character again at the inception of Jesus' ministry. Why is Johnny such an important part 
of the story of Advent that makes it even more out of sync with the culture in which we live in uh, today that wants us to celebrate and enjoy the festivity. Well, as I look uh, again at today's Advent passage from Matthew chapter 3, a few thoughts come to mind. The first of which is that, uh, you know, Johnny's the real deal here. He is a great prophet, the last of the great prophets. And we get a clue of that in verse 4, where Matthew specifically tells us that John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, which sounds weird, or maybe at least ancient to you and me. But to Matthew's audience, that was a big clue, because that's what the great prophets wore, like the prophet Elijah. That's what they did. And it told them that John the Baptist has to be the real deal. Second, though his message seems to be out of sync, though it may seem to be very jarring to us as we hear those words again today, the purpose of John the Baptist was nothing other than to point other people to the coming of Jesus. Kind of like first century advanced men who literally, when a king was about to visit a city or a town, would go ahead of him, and they literally would prepare the way. That is, they would smooth out the roadway. They would fill in the empty places. They would take down what was high and make it low so that the king could make his entrance into that town, into that village, to be with his people, with his subjects. And then there's that word uh, that we always associate with John the Baptist, and that is the word repent. Uh, And in the Bible, that is the Greek word metanoia, which is kind of like metamorphosis. Metanoia is a transformation. It is a turnaround. Uh, It is a a, a way of thinking differently. It is a change in your heart. It is a change in the direction of your life. That's metanoia. And John uses that word uh, in two rather different ways in the passage today. Uh, He directs it, as you heard, uh, to the religious elite known as Pharisees and Sadducees who are these, you know, uppity, holier-than-thou, on their high horse, religiously perfect people who believe that, you know, religious performance was really the only way to get right with God. And everybody else was inferior. John addresses the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says to them, metanoia, you got to change the way you think. you got to change the direction of your heart and your life because your religious performance is never going to get you right with God. The only thing that's ever going to get you right with God is following and trusting in the one who comes after me, who will come to baptize you with a new spirit for your life. But then he also uses the word for people who were coming out of Jerusalem and from the other towns and the villages of Judea to listen to him preach and and to be baptized by him. These are people who were broken. They were hurting. They were struggling. They were lost. And to that group of people, Johnny says, metanoia. For the kingdom of heaven is come near to you, which is to say, 
the grace of God has come near to you. The forgiveness of God has come near. The comfort of God, the peace of God, the hope of God. The life of Christ, the purpose of your life in him, it's all near to you so that you can metanoia. You can change the direction of your thinking about yourself and about God. You can change the direction of your whole life because of this one who is coming after me. And so what I would say to you on the second Sunday of Advent is that as easy it might be for us to just kind of go with the traditions of the world and, and start the party a little bit early. And, you know, hey, by the way, you know, FYI, the tree at our house went up on Thanksgiving weekend before Advent even began. You know. <laughs> so it's not like it's a big sin. But what I would also say to you in the midst of that is the truth be known, I still need Johnny. And I still need people who will follow in his footsteps and who care enough about me to grab hold of my attention, to call me away uh, from the traditions and the pleasures of this world, away from my appetite for pleasure without commitment, which, you know, which we're all prone to want. I need somebody from time to time who's going to just shake up my complacency and, and pull me down off my self-righteous, holier-than-thou, high horse, and say, you know, you got to turn around. you got to change your thinking. Straighten up. So that you don't miss the miracle of Jesus coming to change your life from the inside out. I don't like preachers who yell at me. But every once in a while, I do need a strong voice with an outstretched hand that will guide me back to God. And when I'm the one that's broken, and I'm the one that's hurting, and I'm the one that's struggling, and I'm filled with fear, and I'm filled with shame, I need somebody who's going to say to me, hey, Mark, kingdom of God is near to you. Grace of God is with you. The peace of God, the comfort of God, the hope of God, the purpose of your life in God, it's all near to you. And it has the power to change the direction of your whole life. And if you're in one of those categories uh, today, then I guess, you know, I get to be that voice you know, right here, right, right now and in this moment. Because without it, the traditions of both Advent and Christmas will not have a lasting effect for people who just don't get it weighed down deep inside. And so it turns out uh, that in spite of, you know, a church and a culture that are at least to some degree out of sync, I'm still glad that we do Advent. Although we may not be quite as rigid as a group of uh, fifth century Christian monks. And yet, we're still here to take our cue from a church that is still willing to stop in the middle of the celebration and say, here's Johnny, who is willing to meet us in the wilderness and say, here's Jesus, to break through the door of your heart with a wonderful new reality that'll change your life forever. 
And by the way, you know, I mentioned uh, a moment or so ago that uh, today's passage from Matthew chapter 3 uh, ends with this warning, you know, that Jesus is coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's coming to be your judge. That is true. But what I also want you to know is what happens right after the passage in Matthew chapter 3, the part that wasn't in front of you today. Because what happens next in Matthew 3 is the baptism of Jesus by his cousin Johnny in the waters of the Jordan River. And why is that important? Why does that matter? Because it is a sign that this one who needed no baptism, who knew no sin, comes into this world and he puts himself into the position of a sinner like me as a signal, a clue that there would come another time and another place where he would put himself into the position of a sinner like me. And that would be on a cross where he suffers the judgment so that you and I can be free to change our thinking about ourselves, about God, to change the whole course, direction, and trajectory of our life to metanoia by the power of his grace. And so I pray uh, that God will give you the grace to hear that voice in the wilderness of your life. And maybe even to be that voice for someone else who needs a hand to guide them back to God, who needs to hear that the kingdom of God, the grace of God is with us. And it does have the power to change absolutely everything. So that this advent, regardless of your traditions, regardless of our cultures, can be a blessed and a holy and a wonderful time, leading us all to a merry and a blessed Christmas in the coming of Jesus Christ into your life today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to rise as we continue.